So we're going to talk today about racial disparity in home ownership. It's a really important topic that needs to be discussed. And before we get there, I want to talk a little bit about the wealth gap between people that rent homes and people that own homes. And the number is about a 40 multiplier, so 40 times. So let me give you an example. If you have a net worth as a renter of $10,000, that means your net worth is going to be $400,000 if you own a home. It's that significant of a difference. Now, some of the things that home ownership provides. So it gives you a substantial sense of security, unique access to leverage, a hedge against rising interest rates, and interest rates in the state of New Jersey are rising at 6.2% per year since 1991, the tax deductions that you have as a result of owning real estate, either the interest on the mortgage or the property taxes, a portion of those can be tax deductible for you. There's a low capital gains in real estate as compared to other investments, and it really is an overall vehicle to building wealth. Now, if you were to look at wealthy people in the United States, most of their wealth comes from equity that they have in real estate, both personal real estate and commercial real estate. All of this is fantastic, right? The challenge is, is the benefits of home ownership are skewed and they don't benefit everybody equally. So to talk about that in a little more detail today, I want to invite Dana Cadena. Thanks for joining, Dana. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> Thank you for having me here. Oh, it's so fantastic to have you. And Dana, you're an accomplished author, you're a real estate expert, you're a coach, and I could go on and on. And I'm really excited to have the conversation with you because it's an important one that we need to talk about. Oh, thank you. Listen, I love what I do. I love what I do. I love how you do it. And thank you for caring and thank you for bringing your genius to, to these topics. Let's get right into it. Yeah. So when you look at the statistics in the United States, and all of which carry forward to New Jersey's good microcosm, if you're white in this country, there's a 75%, 75% of whites own a home. If you look at non-white, which is really Asian, it's 57%. Hispanic is 48%. And then if you're black, it's 45%. And the thing that's really mind-blowing to me is since 1968, when they passed the fair housing laws, the gap's actually widened. Yeah. It's widened as compared to them. Right. What are your Isn't thoughts that on that? Isn't that fascinating? So here's the thing, you know, and I love how you opened up this conversation because there's so many net tangible benefits by owning the greatest asset class that drives the most wealth to families mm -hmm. on the globe, which would be real estate. And so it's it's the immediate benefits, like you were mentioning, the tax benefits, and it's also the long-term equity, right? And the long-term equity that 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 non non-brown uh, families can bequeath to mm -hmm. to their children and then to have them right uh, go ahead and, and grow more generational wealth and and so yeah the disparity is undeniable and you know for me it is it's undeniable and really part of the solution I feel is in the education right we're a product of what we focus on and 
it, it, it is a shame because if you really look at the onset of FHA in, in the early 1930s, that was in the 1930s. And yet when you fast forward to the 60s, I mean, that, that is just a huge amount of time, decade over decade, to have right, black and brown people, um, non-whites just barred from being able litigiously, legally, to buy the greatest asset that builds wealth. So imagine, right, like over a hundred years per se, really, if we really look back at the data, um, what a head start. What well, a head start. and that makes it a, a systemic issue. Uh, when you look at, to your point about FHA 1934, I mean, terms like redlining were mm -hmm. part of some guidelines in mortgage lending. We're literally, you'd outline an area and say, we're not lending here. Right. Now, that since was, was obviously overturned in, in 1968 with fair housing. But when you look at that and you couple it with funding to builders during that same time frame, where the builders would literally write into their guidelines that you cannot purchase the property if you're black, brown. Right. It's right. crazy. It's and insane. And I will say that it's also pretty surreal as a real estate professional. I always joke around, Greg, I'm still in these streets selling real estate. So <laughs> everyone looks at all of the public speaking and the talks and the authoring and all the things. Amazon said, bestseller. I read really. And this, this book is for you, by the way. It so is. I'm delighted to give you my Breaking the Glass oh, Ceiling. thank you. It's just rewriting how we can access opportunities and wealth. And, and so- Did you inscribe it? I did. I already- Wrote a little a little note in there for you and and uh, oh thank really, you so much Dana thank you no truly and so I think um, you know because how else right do we pass on our legacy to the great 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 grandchildren we will never meet I think we've talked about this before too mm -hmm. is is putting it in ink and writing our wisdom and and our strengths down on paper so that you know our family will never meet many years from now we'll get to uh, learn from our from our experience um, and tenure. So, so going back to just this, you know, gap of, of wealth and ownership and equity and opportunity, it is undeniable. And you're right. I mean, right, those builders, Levitt, et cetera. I mean, there's so many in, in the Northeast, even alone, when you look at New Jersey, PA, I mean, I'm selling real estate and looking at these historic deeds that literally bar any non-whites from purchasing those properties. And that's literally, you see that written in on the deeds that, you're, that are coming true sure. to if this day. If you really peel that onion and look in the, the underwriters, so how title works, and you look at the, the deeds and, and you go back to the underwriters and see some of those deeds are, are still there. Now, obviously, thank goodness, we're making some progress, right? Um, we have FHA to protect us, but it's just, um, it's just undeniable. And I think that that education needs to be furthered and, and really shared with our real estate professionals because I'm not convinced everyone's really aware of that systemic breakdown mm -hmm. that, that, impacts, that impacts families like, like black and brown families today moving forward, you know? You know, it's part of the education of the real estate community. And we were chatting a little bit before this about the education of kids. Right. In, in kids in general, but kids in the inner cities as well. You know, how do you put together a program that can really teach people from a very young age the values of money, of budgeting, 
sure. of real estate, of mortgage, and all those things that you can do to leverage and to grow wealth over the course of time. Yep, that's what energizes and inspires me, Greg, is I have my training coaching platform. It's called Overachiever Central. And one, one of the tentacles uh, of, of that coaching training platform is to impact underserved youth because I don't know about you, but I really ground level, elementary level. I never learned like what how stocks really work, right? And like how what a FICO was. Oh, by the way, and um, equity. Even the term equity, you know, I've shared with with some some relatives in, in my orbit, and they're adults and are like, oh, so that is money. And like, so I just think that there's a great opportunity, um, and that's why Overachiever Central is so. Uh, important to me to bring that education to underserved youth that they may not have people talking about wealth and they're, they're just so focused on the survival part of life that they're not really focused on that wealth creation. And frankly, even adults I'm looking at now in terms of you know, tax minimization and asset protection and trusts and how, I mean, all of my companies are, are held in a trust, thank goodness, to protect right from creditors or, you know, wrongful lawsuits and things like that. I just think we have a great opportunity to raise the bar and to make sure we're teaching and sharing on the utilitarian, like the real useful information that a lot of us were not equipped with early on. And how could you be if you're in the inner city? So I had the opportunity to spend some time in Trenton. They were tearing down uh, one of the projects on Sanford Street in Trenton. And I, I was talking to some people in the city council and the mayor. Some of these kids live in their car. Mm. They had to install washers and dryers in some of the schools so the kids could wash their clothes. Yeah. So when you're focused on basic survival, mm -hmm. you're not focused on anything else. Sure. But to your point, if we can get in there at an early age, and start to educate. We can't fix all the problems. We can if we all work together. Right. But you and I can't fix all the problems, but we can at least address the educational issue. Sure. And really show them the path of money, the path of real estate, the path of leverage, and things that can really have that multiplier effect for people longer term. Interestingly enough, we have a great opportunity to help uh, also the adults that right are leading the youth that they they're in survival mode and just getting to the next paycheck and the next bill. And I think that there's um, a tremendous opportunity. That's what gives me a lot of energy is really just um, bringing that real deal education of how money works. You can't penny save your way to wealth. You just can't penny save your way to wealth. It's a great, it's a great point. And kind of going back to what you had said earlier about the bequeathing of wealth. Right. That's one of the challenges. And that's why you see in the white population, you have a higher level of ownership because you have generational increase in real estate. 75% of, of white folks own a home. And now you can pass that equity onto your kids, either pulling cash out, selling your home, giving them money. Sure. Where in other communities, there's no gift money. There's no inheritance. And it all starts and stops with education. Right. To your Starts point. and stops with education and I'll say also opportunities. I'm excited to welcome more people into real estate to access because there's so many different ways to earn money in real estate, right? You can sell real estate. You can own it and then rent it. You can own properties that pay you to own them. <laughs> what a fascinating right. concept, right? right? I mean, I recently 
did a post and it was about, hey, you know, reach out to me if you're looking to get paid to own assets in real estate. And I had more agents reach out to me, which was fascinating, than consumers. What does that tell us? That people the people know. with licenses don't realize that that was just an outward post to attract, you know, consumers who want to buy the product that we happen to sell. What's so ironic is a lot of agent entrepreneurs go ahead and sell the best opportunities away from themselves. Amazing. Have you not seen this? I mean, am amazing. I, yeah, absolutely. Am I today years it. old? It's just insane. No. So I just think there's a great opportunity to educate agent entrepreneurs and then to also invite maybe agents who don't you know, always look one way into real estate to make money differently. That's such a great point, Dana. And we look at education, really start with the professionals or part of the process should be working with the professionals to disseminate the information. Because what we can do individually is limited. What we can do with and through others is limitless. We can educate them and you have 53,000, 54,000 real estate agents in the state of New Jersey getting the message there to get it out to the, the people and have a great multiplier effect. Sure, yeah. And, and I think that it's, it's us who hold opportunities that, uh, you know, that's why I'm really passionate about getting on main stages, not to look cute and have a mic in my hand. However, to show, yes, you know, I am Afro-Latina, I am black and Puerto Rican, I'm super proud of that. And I'm, you know, here to show that others can also jump in who happen to resemble me and you know that's why representation honestly matters uh to borrow from bernice king <laughs> if you don't think representation matters then you must be really well represented that's why it's so important that frankly greg people who look like you you know um are friends and allies and are aware of the challenges and committed and bring that commitment and dedication to make impact. Yeah, and there has to be, people wanna be represented by people that they're similar to. Right, well, if you don't yeah. see someone doing something that looks like you, like, then you can't, you can't imagine yourself doing yes. it. That's why I look at Simone Biles and I'm like, she's so important, right? Because that's lifting other brown girls up to say, hey, that's for you too. Like you could crush that as well. And so that's why I'm looking to really just create more millionaires who, who, who might resemble me. And, and I'm a fan, right? <laughs> I'm not, you know, it's, it's, it's not that it's not for you or not. It's just, it's um, the, the disparity, right? It's undeniable in terms of the wealth gap and, um, you know, the, the backgrounds and the communities. So, I mean, it's undeniable with the income gap because that, plays a part in it as well, which I'm gonna come back to when we talk about some of the changes in, in real estate commission. But a couple other things that I did wanna point out, when you look at foreclosure rate, so right now foreclosures are virtually nothing. But when you look at 2009, when all the foreclosures started hitting, yeah. less than one half of 1% of foreclosures were white, were white folks, 1% default rate if you were black, and there was a two and a half, two 2.5% for Latino. Mm. And again, it's, there's a disparity in there. Well, why? Why? And I, I've always felt, I don't think that it's the bank saying, we're not going to modify your mortgage or, or that. I think it's more, they didn't know what questions to ask. Sure. You know, if you don't know what questions to ask or how to be led down, you didn't know how to handle it. 
right? Or the resources. And also I feel like there, I was also selling real estate in that season, uh, 2008, 2009, 2010. And there were a lot of awful deals made like forbearance situations made where you could um, almost live mortgage free. The challenge was that a lot of those payments, right, were tacked to the back of the loan. So when you eventually were just kicking the can down the street, you had to pay the piper. And it was exorbitant to try to catch up with that or your payment goes from $12.50 a month to $25.50 a month, but they didn't really explain that part or your ESL. English is your second language, and that was just not clear. I mean, there's so many different layers of, uh, you know, not excuses, but real deal reasons to source the the complexity. It makes to total sense. So when you look at the Latino community, there were two and a half percent of foreclosures were in that area, which is significantly higher than white and black. It's a language barrier. Mm-hmm. Sure. You're not understanding. You know, if English is your second language, the tools weren't in place for you to be led down the right path. And in addition to that, when you look at loans that were written in the late 90s and the early 2000s, unfortunately, there were some less favorable terms. It was fascinating to see how I would I would absolutely notice colleagues just pressing that one particular more, you know, lucrative loan type the cozy, the coffee loans, all of those, right? It was like 2.2% for five minutes and then blew up like nitro later in the loan. And again, that those payments were tacked to the back and just not, and I, I watched them, I'm like, wow. Like, so why would you offer the more lucrative loan as a loan originator to that group, but not that group? There's a challenge there, just like on the realtor side. You have realtors that are more discerning when dealing with certain communities or groups. That is a challenge. I think we saw that in Long Island. I don't know if you noticed that uh, study that that they did. It was almost like secret shopping, but it was real estate commission (laughs) secret shopping. And and they would have, you know, a non-white couple versus a white couple. And they would say, well, you know, we're putting 2% or, you know, a 3% down per se. And they would uh, be a lot more forgiving for the white couple versus the non-white couple. And this, these are just agents working, trying to right, make a sale. And, and the challenge was that it was the, the brown people who were constantly, well, we need to see a, a second pre-approval just to make sure you're approved. Or it, it was just, oh, we don't do section eight. We don't, uh, what? Like, this is not permitted. This is not right. How we treat people defines us. And uh, there was a study done in Long Island that was very revealing uh, when you looked at how the real estate professionals were interacting with people of different backgrounds. It was undeniable. It's on YouTube. It's fascinating. If you really I'm going to have to it. check that out. I, I wasn't familiar with that study, but I'm, I, I need to check that out. That's obviously unfortunate. And education right. again. Or and... we're all cash. Okay, we believe you, but you tell me you're all cash. We don't believe you. Okay, well, by the way, uh, just from the coach, you need to ask everyone for proof of funds, right? All pages, all numbered pages, make sure they are who they say they are, right? Uh, So that's the thing is to treat people fairly and to be educated and to understand that there is a gap and moving forward, the the education, professional development, um, you know, frankly, for myself and my family, I'm enamored right now with asset protection because you can earn and be a high earner. And yet if you're not protecting your, your stake for a long term, 
Uh, you know, we You're see talking like long term care, asset protection. Yeah. You know, trusts, estate planning, mm -hmm. uh, having a great understanding of that, mitigating your tax exposure uh, and tax minimization. Even, uh, you know, I look at a lot of celebrities. I've had a blessing to have several uh, high net worth clients, celebrity clients who are non-white and uh, they have scaled into real estate greatly. Some have, some haven't. And, you know, some of them, if, if they, you know, have to retire and they didn't retire the right way, that financially shows up. And, I mean, we've seen in the media, uh, in, even in the last few years, um, the Bozeman family, right? I mean, Honda forever. Sports, yeah, I mean, yeah. they, I, that whole family ended up in probate court. The attorneys got paid, the court got paid, and then the family is left with what? Why? Because that one high earner didn't plan well. Well, that's, uh, to your good point earlier, Greg, of asking the right questions, knowing what we need to activate. I mean, uh, you know, a trust versus no trust, uh, millions upon millions, that is a major game changer. No question. It's just critical, that whole educational piece. And a lot of that's like 300 level and you go 400 level. But we, you know, we start here and we build on the education over the course of time. Dana, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back at you. I will say in terms of specific topics, Greg, literally specific topics that have been immensely helpful to a lot of the people who I'm so grateful to train and coach and lead is tracking your net worth. And the reality is we cannot improve what we're not measuring. And so it's almost like weight loss, right? Like getting on the scale. You cannot ma manage what you can't measure. Right. Cardinal rule of any business that you're running. Right. And you, and you can't move what you can't measure. So here's the thing is your net worth. And I just, I feel like there's a lot of people in underserved areas who net worth. It's like, I'm just trying to get to the next check. Right. And so I do feel like we need an awareness, a heightened level of education. Again, that's my overachiever central heart, um, is, is centered around just tracking your net worth, striving to earn differently in multiple ways. Cause you and I both know that there's a dollar per hour, right? We actively earn income, which is fine. However, if, if we don't crack the code of owning more assets that pay us to own them, we're always going to be tied to a job. Couldn't agree with you more. It's, you have to have multiple streams of income, assets you have to leverage, all of that. Sure. Yeah. And I'm just convinced that there's a lot of underserved communities and underserved people who have um, the maybe the desire, but not the knowledge. Right. And that's, then that's true for, you know, that could take, take race out of it. It's it's just economic. Mm -hmm. Like if you're in a certain economic bracket, you the education isn't there. Sure. And nobody cares. <laughs> and that's the, they don't, nobody cares. I mean, when you look at particular areas in the state of New Jersey, why is it that the school systems are terrible where there's a low net worth? Mm -hmm. And I'm not blaming the state. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just looking at it for what it is. It's a fact. And it's usually uh, an area with a lot of people of color in low incomes and the schools are terrible. So what's the path of success in there? Right. Now, how do you break that? How do you get yeah. out of that? Right. And again, we know it's a, about education, but sure. we really got to plan, develop, and implement real educational things that can help people break that sure. cycle economically. 
And it needs to get to the forefront of, you know, the courts. Like, so just to pivot the elephant in the room, right? The, the DOJ matter and uh, clearly the, um, you know, buyer agency uh, commission factor. And I'm going to, you know, really just be careful here, frankly, because I'm a broker since 2008, right? Let, let me just and clarify so, it for, for the sure. audience. So there was a recent lawsuit that uh, indicated the buyer agency which is basically the commission going to the buyer's real estate agent, shouldn't be paid by the seller? Is that a fair assessment? Sure. Yep. And it creates a lot of other issues outside of that. Right. Right. It creates uh, a ripple effect of uh, affordability, the impact for affordability. So just put yourself in the first time home buyer's shoe that has no equity to lean on, right? Because they, they did not inherit <laughs> anything. And they're looking to buy their first property and have an affordability. The reality is right now, uh, as it were, for Q1 of where we stand right now, 2024, right? That going interest rate, you're the subject matter expert. Riddle me a rate, six, six and a quarter-ish? Six, six and half? a half. Six say. and a half, fair. So six and a half percent. Uh, you know, in order to afford, say, a $500,000 house, uh, normal and customary down payment, say, even at 10%, all right, 50 Which can be a stretch for a lot of people. Which can be a stretch, right? Uh, imagine having to add another $10,000 to that 50000 because now you have to pay your agent to usher you to property, identify property, to go ahead and access it, to... Uh, negotiate upon it to get you under contract and, and have the offer accepted to then negotiate everything that happens after that. Like all of the milestones of a typical residential real estate transaction, just to now have this extra 10K bill, you know, you're not done. We didn't even talk about closing costs, right? So you have down payment, now you have closing costs and compounded now with this new bill, as it were, potentially, of compensating your own agent. That is a major challenge, whether you're right, black or brown or not or white or, and so I think it impacts affordability, but it of course impacts, you know, the group of people who have, who have not had the few hundred year uh, head start. Exactly, you're not getting the gift from family, you're not getting the equity transfer from generation mm -hmm. to generation. And to your point, it becomes almost impossible if you're working with some sort of down payment assistance program. As you and I both know, mm -hmm. there's down payment assistance programs in the state of New Jersey where you can get anywhere up to $22,000 in grant money mm -hmm. that's a forgivable loan, interest-free, forgivable after five years. But I don't know if grant money can cover buyer commission. There's no been no rulings on that. I don't think that's necessarily gonna be the case. Right. So now if you have to pay that additional $10,000 to the real estate agent, plus the down payment, to your point, plus the closing costs, the transaction just isn't feasible. And I do a lot of transactions in that with that bond program with the state, and this really puts some pressure on it. It puts pressure also on loans for, you know, hard, hardworking veterans, right? Freedom ain't free. Let's give respect to the real heroes. I feel like finally we understand uh, the people who've served this country are heroes. And, uh, you know, in terms of VA, it's not permitted. They're not because there's a hundred percent uh, financing program for them, right? So for VA, you're actually not permitted 
to go ahead and pay. So what about that? Yeah, <laughs> right? that's, a great, that's a great point. It's a whole big issue. We'll see how it plays out over the course of the next couple couple of years. We know how things happen in real estate. It, it's slowly, gradual, and then suddenly. So I just, I give a lot of guidance to agent entrepreneurs in terms of just, you know, lean into world-class consumer experience, right? What do you do at this time? You tighten up your buyer agency agreements. You go ahead and consult your consumer clients such that you're explaining the way compensation works well versus not explaining it, right? So I think that there's a great opportunity to better explain to consumers how real estate fees work. I'm convinced that a lot of my colleagues, frankly, um, just in general, have not explained how it works well. When you talk about compensation, I'll give you a fun story. Uh, one of my coaching clients recently took their buyer client out in New Jersey and the buyer actually thought that the agent got paid more if she showed her more homes. <laughs> no, no. How would you know? Just to clarify, we do not get paid uh, based on the number of homes we show, right? Like we could show you 30, 300, or three. Either way, it's the same at the end of the day. So I just think that there's a great opportunity to better articulate and explain how the real estate fee works. It's so true because when you look at the tenant making the mortgage payment, or excuse me, making the rent payment, a portion of that rent payment goes towards principal on that house every month. And obviously right. goes to interest as well. Plus you're getting the 4% plus increase year over year. Plus all the tax codes mm -hmm. are geared towards protection of real estate, tax incentive for real estate. Yeah. Wealthy people write the tax codes. They own a lot of real estate. The laws aren't changing. That is not a mistake. Right. So when you look at the upper, like that top 5% of the people who drive 95% of the wealth in the continental U.S., look at the asset class they own. Peek underneath the hood. Number one. Spoiler alert, number it's real estate. <laughs> Equity is the number one source of wealth. Right. And so that's what we have to drive home, like back to the underserved areas, back to the youth, back to people who just ha have not been treated fairly in a systemic way. Like you mentioned earlier, it's just, uh, it's undeniable. And, and I'm here to, to bring impact, to, to further, to help people because all of, all of what I have access to was really never technically in the cards for me. You know, black and Puerto Rican from, you know, Manhattan, New York City, New York, and, you know, my parents were renters, super hardworking, super brilliant people, just renters, used SBA money in the 70s to get their first business, and, you know, just, I'm the first homeowner, first college graduate in my household, all the things, and, and like, not the last, most certainly, and I think that moving forward, I just want to find more people to just lift as I'm striving to climb, you know? So let's talk a little bit about uh, income disparity and the cost of home ownership. So I was reading something today, according to uh, NAR, National Association of Realtors, the affordability index is 98, you have to make $98,000 of median income per year as of quarter two of 2023. So what I mean by that is in order to afford a home, you have to make $98,000 a year. Right. The median income is $91,000 a year. Mm. So people are already kind of, are already falling under that statistically, but it gets worse. 
Because when you look at the disparity in race as it pertains to income, completely warped. So the highest median income in the United States is in the Asian community, where as of 2021, at least, it was 101000 per year. White, 78000 Hispanic, 58000 and black was 48000 Now, that's come up slightly over the course of the past couple of years, but housing isn't affordable. Like if you, if, if you know that you need to make $91,000 a year right now, or that's the median income of 91,000 a year, but you need to make 98,000 and you make 50,000, you got a challenge. You have a challenge as to how we get there. We have to, you, we're gonna have to work on some different things together. I know we're so like-minded on the educational piece of it. And I'd encourage people, you know, if you wanna become more educated and you wanna know more about real estate, mortgages, you know, it's the topics that Dana and I are talking about, everything you hear, we have a weekly live stream that you can go to and you can really ask questions. You can ask questions of me. There'll be times that we have great guests on as well in the live stream like Dana and get your questions answered. Because you know part of it's conversation with people listening and between you and I, but then you start to marinate on it. You're like, I got a question, who do I ask? So I hope some of this information hit home today. You know, talking about the disparity of home ownership between race. And there's clearly a systemic issue that's been created over a very long period of time. And I say all of this, or Dana and I talked about this, not so much to feel good, to feel bad, but it's to understand so we can forge a pathway to the future in moving forward. So if you have any questions, please reach out to us and we appreciate you watching today. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Your Mortgage Process, hosted by Greg Wareham. Produced by Greg Wareham and Nick Pavise at The Social Rift and executively produced by The Social Rift. Thank you again for tuning in and we look forward to catching up with you next week.